All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Difficult Conversations by Supply the Why. Tonight, we got another smoker for you. We're joined by longtime uh, guest and contributor, Mike Powell, and special guest here for tonight, three-time Super Bowl champion, two-time Pro Bowler, Devin McCourty. So let's go ahead without and get Mike up on the screen. Mike, how's it going, brother? Fantastic, team. Good to see you again, as always. It's great to have you back, and you. Uh, I appreciate you being willing to uh, jump into this very important conversation with uh, with Devin. So let's go ahead and bring Devin up. Devin, how's What's it going, up, fellas? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. A uh, little little hectic upstairs. Got the bedtime coming, but everything's going well. Well, you know what they say, small kids, small problems, big kids, big problems. <laughs> I don't know about those issues yet. You know, well, take, take my word for it, my friend, you know, so enjoy these times and enjoy uh, these special moments with the young ones. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, Devin. No, thanks for having me. Looking forward to having a really good conversation. All right. So, Devin, if you could just take a couple uh, seconds and just tell, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up and uh, what you do now. Yeah, man, I'll just try to hit the things people might not know. Uh, I'm a guy who grew up in Niag, New York. Uh, my uh, father passed away when I was about three years old, uh, raised by a single mom. Uh, obviously, everyone knows myself, twin brother Jason, and an older brother about 15 years older. Um, grew up and, you know, got a great opportunity. My mom sacrificed a lot, private school. Uh, I was heavy into sports, full scholarship to Rutgers, um, get drafted by the Patriots, and I would say, um, truly enjoyed playing football, but I think uh, the biggest thing I've enjoyed being in Massachusetts is being able to do things like this, um, off the field, charity work, social justice work, um, have been huge passions of mine. So uh, I enjoy just being able to be in the community and talk to uh, guys like yourself. All right. That sounds amazing. So tonight, gentlemen, I think that it's fitting because I know that you're a big champion for social justice. And uh, Mike and I are a big champions of just being able to have difficult conversations. So I figured we'd start off tonight with a video that's one of my personal favorites, where we talk about where it shows the, the need to have a discussion between the community members and the police. So stand by. I'm going to bring that up on the, on the screen and let everybody in on it. I knew I was going to get pulled over. What do you mean? I mean, I've been working all day. I'm just trying to get to the store, go home. But I'm a black man. I'm wearing a hoodie. And I knew I was screwed. I didn't know you were black when I stopped you. I was right across the intersection from you, and you rolled through the stop sign. Yeah, well, a lot of people do, but I feel like I'm the one who gets stopped all the time. Sorry you feel that way. I don't know why you may have been stopped before, but I can only tell you why I stopped you tonight. It 
it's because you ran the stop sign, nothing else. Do you understand how scared I am when I get pulled over? Tell me why you're scared. Cops get nervous when they pull over a black guy. And I don't know how this is going to end. I just don't want to get shot. Okay. I get it. Been a lot of things causing mistrust, but I never know what's going to happen either when I make a traffic stop. I want you to be able to trust the police. To trust me. I don't want you to be scared. You're the first cop I've talked to that understands there's problems. And I think that maybe if I could talk to other cops like this, I don't know, I'd be less afraid. If we could all talk like this, maybe everyone would be less afraid. Will you remember this conversation when you come to my car? It matters. More than you know. What's up, buddy? Good evening, sir. Good evening. All right. One of my favorite videos, I find it to be very powerful, and I find it to be a great way to kick off an important conversation that we need to have about building trust between the police and the community. So, Devin, why don't you tell us, what, what's, your, what's your take on that video, and how accurate do you think it is? Yeah, I think it's a very interesting video, I think, because we don't get to see that. You know, I think those conversations happen in small pockets, probably throughout the country, um, but they don't usually happen. I think anytime we do see these conversations and it's made public, it never goes as planned. And it always turns into high emotions and, and misunderstandings that um, we can't kind of settle and talk it out. So um, I thought it was powerful. I think anytime um, you get two individuals to speak and to try to find out like where each one is coming from, understand their journey, uh, their purpose, um, you have an opportunity to do that. It's just we don't see that in our communities. Like, uh, for me personally, I, I guess I should say, I haven't seen enough of that um, in our communities to try to rely on that um, to kind of fix and help some of these issues. Outstanding. Well, I got good news for you, my friend. You're in the right place. All right? Mike, what's your take on this, and how does that speak to your style of policing? Um, you know, first thing, powerful and relevant. It, it really is relevant for the conversation we're going to have tonight, and it's and it's rele relevant for for what we see going on um, in the world today. And and like I think, like Devin said, uh, it's conversations that we need to have more that we're not having. Um, and a lot of it, you know, a lot of it is is based upon understanding. Um, and 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 I think we need to do a better job at understanding each other from the law enforcement side as well as uh, as the community side. 
100%. So one of the things we talk about a lot here is we talk about seeking to understand, like Mike just alluded to, and how important that is, especially in today's day and age, where it seems to me where the media, all the different outlets seem to be in a rush to see who can get the biggest shock value story out there as quick as possible and then kind of walk away as the as they scorch the earth without really knowing or really being concerned with uh, uh, if there's any fact factual basis to what they're reporting. So, Devin, tell tell me a little bit about that and how you view the media's uh, reporting of some of these incidents around the country. Yeah, I think that's a world we live in. We live in a world uh, when people reach success, we want to bring them down. We want to search for that. When good things happen. We show it a little bit, but then we get away from it. But when bad things happen, um, it's like a race. It's a full-speed race to see who gets there first. Um, and like you just said, who can put out the first little bit of information? Even if there's nothing to know, how can my report look a little bit different than Mike's report? A little bit different than Dean's. Like, how can mine look like, hey, I want to click this one instead of the other two? Um, and that's the, I think that's the world we live in. You know, I, I feel bad sometimes I see even my young kids, you know, they're three and four, and they're going to grow up in a world where, you know, all the negative things that happen, they're going to be one click away. But a lot of the positive things that happen, it's going to be buried. Like, we don't see some of these police officers who are community guys who are out there helping. You see, you know, every once in a while on social media, you'll see a cop go buy a young kid's shoes from him playing a basketball tournament. Different things like that are small, but it shows a building of a relationship. But we don't see that. We only see the high-profile things, um, and we see those everywhere we turn. And I think it makes it tough to have these conversations because people are so angry. Yeah, absolutely. I, Go ahead. And I, and I would ask you guys, like, as you open a show, you chose that video. And I think you can choose a lot of different things to show, like, why that video, you know, as you guys watch that, you know, how does that make you feel, you know, kind of looking at it, uh, for you guys, uniquely from kind of both sides of the table. All right. Mike, you want to go first, then I'll jump in? Yeah, so uh, so in just touching upon that, that the, the video again, Dean, I, I think um, uh, another thing we can we can do better at from a law enforcement from a law enforcement perspective is we could do a better job with, with talking to people. Um, you know, I, I think that sometimes an explanation. Um, if time is, is time, if time is on our side, an explanation with what's going on can go a long way with the, with, with some of the folks that we're dealing with in the community. Um, and, and, you know, so that communication barrier, I, I think we lack, we lack in, in that aspect of, of trying to have better interactions with the community because sometimes we're in a rush from getting from call to call and, and we get caught up in that simple thing of just explaining that interaction uh, can go a long way, and, I, and I've seen it work. Fair point. So I'll jump in on that same question, and the reason I chose that video is because it speaks to the Supply the Y brand. You know, it's clearly, it's two people on opposite ends of an encounter, and both, though they have their fears and their apprehensions, they both have a genuine desire to understand the other one's perspective. And if we can spread that message, and if we can, you know, with conversations just like the one we're having here tonight, can be a catalyst to get people to adopt that mindset, I think that we're on to something because right now people aren't talking. We got people that are yelling and they're screaming over one another and they're not listening to any message that's being conveyed by, uh, by yeah. either side. 
and it's problematic on so many different levels. See, I'm a couple years old, and I'm well, I'm more than a couple. I'm a little bit older than you. The white hair in my beard kind of gives it away. <laughs> and when I was coming up, we used to have the whole agree to disagree thing. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you the political beliefs of my neighbors. I grew up in an all-white neighborhood. Uh, my parents, they scraped together every penny they had to be able to move from the city out to uh, the town of Stoughton, where I live now, where I'm a police officer now. And, um, and of course, there were people that had apprehensions. It was 1976, we moved on the street. So, of course, there were people that had apprehensions about us moving on and not knowing what we were all about. But luckily, they and my parents were able to put aside those beliefs, political beliefs, and this, that, and the other thing. And it really just came down to one thing. How much you care about your family and wanting the betterment of your community. And we built unbelievable relationships and friendships that, uh, that I enjoy to this day, um, 45 years later. Mm-hmm. So was that's... That, um, do you th- do you think that was a big reason why you became an officer, like growing up in that situation where, you know, you're in an all white neighborhood, um, like maybe you were able to see interactions with officers different. Like I know the area I grew up in, I remember 10 years old, first time the cop came, uh, I grew up in an apartment complex and it was probably like eight of us outside and, you know, there were some older kids and the cop asked us a question um, and like everyone else got quiet and I was a younger guy. So I, I didn't say anything. And when the cop left, I remember the older kid came, he said to me, he said, Hey, when the cops come around, they ask you questions. You don't, you don't say anything. You don't know anything. And I feel like, like small encounters like that made me always think like, well, I don't want to, like, I don't want to do that job. So I'm always interested to see, you know, like why law enforcement, you know, and did your upbringing and kind of environment have something to do with it? All right, so I'll jump in on that, then Mike, I'll, I'll rebound over to you. So uh, I'm going to be frank with you. I never wanted to be a cop. I didn't grow up wanting to be a cop, and I grew up with a healthy fear of police, very much for a lot of what you're saying right um, right there. My father, um, uh, to answer this question, my father was the first black computer room supervisor at Gillette South Boston during busing. I know you heard about the busing now that you've been in Massachusetts for a while. It was uh, mm-hmm. an awful time in Boston for race relations. So my father and and breaded like a healthy fear like hey we all had the talk when we were kids like hey mm-hmm. hands on the steering wheel lights on don't say anything don't look left don't look right and um then rodney king happened when i was 17 years old mm-hmm. and that shaped my because the media because it's like anything else the media played it so much and it dominated so much of the media they had me thinking that rodney king was happening every other traffic stop in every city across the country because it was so prominent that whole principle of recency thing so I grew up not wanting to be a cop. I actually fell into this line of work because, quite frankly, Devin, I was in sales before I was a police officer, and uh, I was it was commission-based, and I just wanted to know how much money I was going to make at the end of the week, and I wanted to know I had benefits. So I fell into this. So I got into it for the wrong reasons, but I stayed for the right reasons. Once I got into this, I started out in the city, and that's where Mike and I met at um, uh, as Boston Special Police Officers, and we were around people that really needed us. I mean, really needed us. And they needed people to advocate for them to people that look like them and advocate for them just in general, just to say, hey, these are good people that it might be in a yeah. tough spot. So um, so that's why I stayed in police work. I have a lot more, but I'm sure Mike wants to jump in. Go ahead, Mike. No, no, you, you were doing a fantastic job, Dean. Uh, I love your stories. Uh, so I, I think I wanted to go into the profession later later in life. My maybe junior... Or, or uh, senior year in, in high school, and and I and I think I had some small interactions through 
with law enforcement, just through my dad's side, because, you know, my, my, my dad was a single father raising three kids. And, um, and, you know, he was hustling from job to job. And, and sometimes he, you know, he had, he definitely had some negative interactions with law enforcement. And, and I would see some, some of the uh, police officers uh, just out and about. And, and I always felt like I could bring something different um, to, to the profession because I, I, I feel like I, I, I've just always had a genuine connection. I was, I've, I've always been able to connect with folks just naturally and just uh, kind of organically. And, and I felt like I could bring that to, to law enforcement. And, and that's kind of, that's kind of been my, uh, my goal ever since, uh, you know, service. Uh, so I, it was an easy transition also from the military uh, right into law enforcement. And, and so I try to bring just my, my personality and, and, um, and, and my ideas and thoughts of, of how I can make the profession a lot better for everyone. I appreciate that. Gentlemen, the chat is lighting up. I got to at least address it. A lot of people have a lot to say. So respect and mutuality, uh, from, from Mark and Jennifer. Uh, we have a great question from Ellen. Ellen wants to know what can we do about the media? What do you think, Devin? I feel like that's a decades-long question. You know, uh, <laughs> do your best to do it. Put a Reader's Digest on it. Yeah, you know, I, I think at one stage, you know, you talked about trying to have some type of control over the media when it was just a newspaper. Then it was the television. Then now it's the internet. It's social media. So I, I just feel like that's one thing we won't be able to control. But I think as a generation, we can raise our kids with an understanding of, hey, like what you see in the media is not the dead and absolute truth. Like that is not, you know, what comes out of you shouldn't think right away, you know, if, you know, it looks like a guy robbed somebody and you're like, oh, he's a terrible person, put him away. Like we, we can't think that way. I think we have to try to teach our kids, hey, you want to investigate something. Like you want to click a few things, read a few articles. Don't just see a headline. And I think, that's something, you know, I think on our team, we talk about a lot, like we're going to all try to have our impacts as individuals right now in communities and do different things. But our biggest impact on, to the world will be how we raise our kids. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest ways that, you know, we can just teach our kids because the media is going to continue to grow. It's too much money in, involved in it. That's always going to be there. But, you know, also on how we raise our kids and how we interact with each other. I love it. Very powerful. One thing I love that I, that I cherry picked from what you were saying there was you talked about exploring your curiosity, not just falling for the clickbait, explore your curiosity, see how deep that rabbit hole goes and do a little research into those incidents. Mike, yeah. can anything be done about the media? And if so, what would you like to uh, see done about the media? You know, you know, Dean, it's, it's obviously the media is not going anywhere, but I, I think that uh, an important thing to take away from it is we all have to have a critical perspective. Uh, you know, you, you can't, you know, if you, if you see something or read something in an article and, and um, it's, it, it has something to do with what's going on in the world today, don't take that as gospel. You, you, you should, you should do your own, own research and, and you should always do research on both sides of the aisle. Um, because I think when you do that, that, you know, that's part of that, having that, that critical perspective, I think it's important because if, if you continue to, to just watch everything that supports your ideology or your thought process, you're, you're never going to grow and learn, uh, or, 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 you know, or, or kind of find the middle ground between certain things. Uh, so I think it's, it's, it's crucial to have a critical perspective when, when you're, uh, filtering through social media and, uh, the media. 
All right. Well put, gentlemen. And again, this is called difficult conversations for a reason. And every once in a while, I'm going to ask you a question that we could literally have three or four consecutive shows on. That was one of them. So uh, very good job answering that as succinctly as possible. So, Devin, when did you start really taking on some of these social justice causes? And, you know, what what is your main drive behind you when you are doing this? Because, again, you're putting yourself out there. And it can be uncomfortable out there. So, so talk to us about your motivation and, and how you started. Yeah, I think I always liked helping people. Um, but I think when you're young, especially, you know, you get in the NFL, you, you make some money, you're getting notoriety. Um, you want to do the feel-good stories. Uh, I'm a huge advocate in sickle cell, uh, family family history in sickle cell. Um, but I think as I, as I grew into the man that I, that I was becoming, you know, probably around 29, 30, uh, got married, had a kid. Um, it's when I realized like, Hey man, like what's your purpose? Like, yeah, you might do some things that offend people. Um, so does that mean you're out here trying to people please and make everybody like you or do you have a purpose bigger than yourself? And I, you know, when I had my first kid and, uh, just maturing, um, really made me realize like, hey, I can do more. There's more people I can help. I can speak about the issues um, that people, I won't say are scared of, but get uncomfortable talking about. Um, and I think that's what was great for me. I had built up um, a lot of trust with people. I had been in a community doing things, been in you know some of the rougher areas in Boston and Providence. Um, and I think that allowed people to want to listen and um, I think one of the biggest things that showed me that was quick story. We had a listen and learn where, you know, we had public defenders, um, judges, just a, a 15 to 20 people, um, all together talking. And I invited Jonathan Kraft, our team president. Um, and he came and he was blown away by the things people were talking about, um, finding out about a seven year old, um, you know, before the new criminal justice reform bill was passed, could be dragged into court. And, that opened his eyes and right then that told me like hey you can build bridges with people on this side and on the other side and bring them together and um i've enjoyed every minute of it so uh i think it's a it's a purpose and it's been a blessing for me because i've learned a lot um about obviously our country our society um and a lot about myself that's that's amazing mike what say you yeah, so Dean, if you could um, repeat the question. <laughs> I was uh, I was so caught up in in uh, Devin's story that I I um, I, uh, I lost track of the the question. Good. How about I rephrase? I'll, I'll, I'll rephrase it in a way that's more law, to, geared towards law enforcement. So as far yeah. as how do you when you're out there on the beat and you're out there interacting with people, how are you measuring? your social justice, because I know that one of the things that you and I talk about in a lot of our private conversations is advocating for people mm -hmm. and doing the right thing and speaking up for the people that can't really speak up for themselves. Mm -hmm. And also, sometimes you got to tell somebody that, listen, it isn't what you think it is. Like, you, like, I can't, like, we might, like, if it's somebody that we're dealing with that looks like us, somebody that's a person of color, like, I can't let you go if you punch your significant other in the face. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter how much we have in common. If yeah. you are driving 80 miles per hour in a 30, you're probably going to get a money citation. I don't want to hear anything about brother this, brother that. You know what I mean? Like this is, it's not that. You can't just automatically go to that. So how do you measure that with 
maybe another type of call, whereas, now, Devin, this happens quite a bit, where people try to weaponize the police versus somebody else. For example, I was called for a uh, two, two suspicious males. So it was about 6.50 in the morning, maybe right around 7 o'clock, and I got a call for two male, two males, two black males in hoodies with backpacks on moving quickly in the neighborhood. So we get called there. I show up there with somebody else, and it's raining. It's pouring rain. And you know what it was? It was two kids trying to hustle up to the bus stop. So that's what that was. So it was absolutely crazy. So looks like right now we're having some internet difficulties. It looks like we lost Mike and Devin. So I will talk a little bit more about that till they jump back on. So one of the things that we need to pro really protect ourselves from in society is that whole weaponizing of the police. And people need to understand that uh, the difficulty in being a police officer is sometimes we get called to calls and we have no control over those calls. So if we get called someplace, we have to go. And that's part of the, the crux of being a police officer where you get called someplace and you have to go. So people that call the police, they understand that every time the police get called someplace, you have to go. You're going to get a response. So that's what makes the whole weaponizing of the police issue that we're having um, so difficult. So that's a little bit what I was talking about there, Mike. So just talk about how you handle people that weaponize the police versus somebody. Yeah, no, I, I think that the biggest thing that I've tried to do in my capacity as a law enforcement officer, when I deal with certain situations, is just education. Um, and I and I think, and again, but that's that's it's important to be able to. Uh, it's important to to. Ex sometimes you have to explain things um, to folks, and and sometimes the truth hurts. Um, but uh, but that but that's part of life. Um, so so I always I like I said I've always found importance in explain taking the time to explain things to folks and i think that that kind of calms the situations down um and then when you when you introduce the truth um i think some folks most folks see that and and uh, sometimes the, the the tone changes a little bit um and 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 again and that's important in part that's a an important part of my job not only as a police officer but as a civil rights officer i'm the civil rights officer for my department and and that's kind of part of my responsibility is is to explain things to folks a little clearer if um if they didn't get it the first time well put mike so devin i guess i gotta ask you are you aware were you aware before we just talked about that 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 does in fact happen that people weaponize the police against certain segments of the population against significant others um they've really used us as a means of revenge sometimes or means of control over other people were you aware that that happened and what are your feelings about it yeah i am uh, uh i'm a part of the players coalition group of uh, professional athletes and a bunch of different sports and oftentimes we talked about that that's one of the topics that have come up of police officers they get ran dry you get called for this you get called for that and a lot of times once you're at a scene now you have to do your duty you have to be a police officer and the truth of the matter is you probably didn't need to be called and i remember having a lot of those conversations um about police officers in schools and you could have a kid who 
is 12 years old, having a rough time at home. And how do they show that? By just acting up in class. But if you act up in class enough and you get a teacher who's like, listen, I just can't deal with this, they call the officer. And I think that's the hard thing now because as a police officer, as you come into this situation, all you know how to do, I won't say all you know how, but you're doing your job. You're being a police officer. So if something goes left, now you have a kid who's, you know, maybe a high school student. They get arrested in school and it creates that whole school of prison pipeline. Um, but those are just some things that I've noticed. And, and like the story you just told, especially if you happen to be in a neighborhood that, you know, doesn't see black people too often. That's a lot of times that's the immediate response. Like, man, this doesn't look right. Like, let me call our ultimate protection against, you know, what we see as suspicious or our fears as officers. And, you know, a lot of times that situation could go really left, all depending on how Mike said the approach, the conversation you had, you know, before we got on, Mike talked about just if there's enough time to explain to somebody why you're there, how big of a difference that makes. Um, so I think I think that's a hard job sometimes for officers. Um, but if they take the time and they do those small things, like I'm sure you ask those kids, hey, how you doing? You know, I got called, like, what's the issue? And as they talk, you're like, oh, <laughs> you know, like I can get out of here. But, you know, I think that's the hard thing of, you know, if you get a cop who comes with some fear, now that situation, you got two people who have some fear in their hearts. You don't know which way it can go. So this begs the all-important point. How did that call end? So that call ended. It's not very exciting. I never even talked to those to those young kids because I knew right away what they were doing. So as soon as I got there, I, it was clear to me that they were on their way to school. So there was nothing to talk about at that point. But you know what I did want? Control. Do you have a callback number for the caller? I want to talk to him. I didn't know you guys could do that. We sure can. Not enough people do it. Now that becomes that whole advocacy point. So I go from guardian to, you know, possible warrior, but there's also an advocacy piece. And that advocacy piece is part of this job that doesn't get talked about enough. It doesn't. So how, how, go ahead. I'll just say, how often do you think that happens that, you know, officer, you get called somewhere and it's like, Hey, what's the callback number? So I can try to see what they were thinking and and try to, uh, really figure out the situation. I'm going to answer that with not enough because as Mike says, the busier the department, the more you're just, it's almost like, uh, like making widgets. Like, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like I made a widget. Now I'm going to move on to the next widget. And, Mm -hmm. And sometimes answering calls it becomes that, especially nowadays, because people want so much out of every single call. For example, people want reports written for their insurance, for this, for that, for every single call. So you go to a call, then you have to go back and you got to type up a report. Then you go to the next call. Oh, then it's a more serious and that takes even more time. So people just want to clear the board and it just becomes that. And you and I'm not going to say it's forget, but this time, this job doesn't always allow uh, for people to have long drawn out conversations. But in my opinion, every once in a while, we got to slow things down and we got to, we got to talk to people about what their motivation was for calling. And, um, I can tell you for sure. And I'm sure Mike has done this before too. I have, uh, verbally professionally, but I have verbally undressed some people for, um, trying to use us as a, as a means of revenge or a means of control over people. And that's the part of this job that never gets talked about. It never gets talked about. There's a lot of police officers. The majority of the police officers 
We don't care about the color of people's skin. We don't care about their financial means. We just want to do the right things. Mm-hmm. But that, uh, the, uh, it's, it's not a sexy story, so you don't hear much about it. Mm-hmm. All right. So I digress. We have some excellent questions in the chat. Um, one is, many people fear the police. They brought up fear of the police. How do we change their mindset? It's hard to change someone's perspective when it has been ingrained in them their whole life. So, do um, so, Devin? Do you have a comment on that? Um, I, I think I think what they they ended with it's been ingrained in them their whole life. I think that's where you start. You start by acknowledging why it was ingrained. You know, I think sometimes we try to be, be, uh, start conversations and we begin with like, "Hey, I know you think this way," but and it's almost like a you know, I'm just saying that to get it out of the way, but I really don't care. And I think sometimes like when you can understand why someone feels that way, and you can go to that level with them. Now you can start to move forward about how to change those things. But I think sometimes if you just jump in head first about like, let's just change this. Don't fear me um, without addressing like why those fears are there and um, acknowledging that sometimes those fears are very relevant for people um, and they're very real. So um, I, I think that's one way to start. Um, but obviously, if I had that answer, um, I would be going around the world telling people. Um, but uh, it, it's a hard place. And I think it, a lot of times it's different for kind of different people and how they process things. Would you agree that formats like this, like what we're doing here at Supply the Lie, is a good start? Yeah, no, no doubt about it. I just think it's hard. Um, I think sometimes people watch this, you know, and I know like people that I grew up in the community, they watch and they say, oh yeah, but like that's Devin McCourty. Like, yeah, we get it. He can have those conversations, but they think like me personally, where I'm at, name whatever city you want. Like I can't have that conversation with the cop that pulled me over two weeks ago. Um, and I think that mindset is what troubles, um, you know, our issues. And then, you, you know, you just think of the different encounters that get all the, the media pub, um, you know, just the, the shooting that happened in Minnesota where, you know, everyone ran away. and was like, you know, she thought it was a ter- because she was scared and she can't be scared. You know, she's a trained officer. And I think now when you have those conversations, um, people are scared. Like, how do I have a conversation with someone when all I can think about is I don't want them to fear me. So um, how do you get more people to come to these conversations and be able to just have them. I don't know. I, I think, pe- but I do, I think people are trying to do that around the country. I think police departments, I think community activists and organizers, like people are trying to do that. I just don't know how you get it to the masses um, without an incident popping up and kind of killing all of the momentum that usually gets built. We're going to come back to that. Mike, I know you want in couple words on this. Go ahead, bro. No, no, I, I think I think Devin hit a lot of good points. It's it's you know, cause in, in folks that have a fear of law enforcement or fear of police, it's real in their mind. It's no doubt real in their mind. But I, I think um, you know, I think it's about how do we address that fear and the, the what's the right way to address that fear. And, and and Dean, if I could so if I could share just a small story. Please. Um so and, and, and this is relevant to the conversation about fearing the, the, the police. So I, I had a, a conversation with a, with a woman um, in the community that I serve, and she has a seven-year-old son. And so she has her, um, and this woman is a person of color, uh, and she, had, she has her son, her seven-year-old son, recite 
something if if they're ever stopped by the police you have nothing to fear from me uh i i don't know what it is verbatim but something to the effect of listen i'm seven years old you have nothing uh, nothing to fear please please don't fear me and i think and again this is my opinion i think that's the wrong message particularly seven years old i think that uh, an adult's fear can transfer to uh to a seven-year-old and ultimately that becomes his or her fear so i think we have to be very very careful about what we what we filter to our children because they're very, very, uh, their minds can be molded um, and, and they're ultimately going to grow up and, and this is going to be a perpetual problem. I, I couldn't agree more. So I got to move on because I have a question in the chat that's specifically for Devin. Devin, congratulations, my friend. You're being promoted. You've gone from starting, starting defensive back for the Patriots. You are now the chief of police of the ABC police department. <laughs> And the question is, if you were police chief, what would your agency be doing to improve relationships between your department and the communities that are less trusting of law enforcement? So, Chief McCordy, lay it on us. Yeah, and the first thing I would start off with is I don't know policing. So I don't know some of the things you need to know to be equipped with saving lives and different things like that. But I think the one thing I do know is how to have people have a common goal come together, build relationships, and move towards that goal. And I think that would be the, the first thing that I would try to do. I would try to build with, you know, obviously you can't meet with every community member, um, but different community leaders, different, you know, churches, boys and girls clubs, different things that you could go to um, that would have large group of people, groups of people, and talk to them about a goal, a vision um, of how I, how I would see a community being ran. And I wouldn't go to them in a way of like, I'm telling you, this is how it needs to be done. But I would love the input of a community to build that um, and then let them know like, hey, this is our purpose here as a police department. Um, and I think one of the, the best things we've ever done as a team is we create different, call it events, different things that we would schedule that would have nothing to do with football about anything it just would be people coming together with other people that they normally would never connect with even on our football team you know i think a lot of times people think you get 53 guys together and everybody's like hey that's my best friend that's my best like that doesn't happen at all but throughout different times especially in training camp where there's 90 guys you definitely don't have that but we would do different things that um might seem corny or different but like they would connect us they would give us a moment in time to forget about everything else, but to just get to know each other and build those relational relationships that add value and I think really show purpose. So um, I would have to, you know, I would try to have a committee within my police department and come up with different things in the community. How can we, you know, do things and not do them like when we first get there, but do these things either quarterly or, or twice a month, just different things to continue to connect with the community um, but again, that's me talking from a, a side of, I don't know what else goes on, filling out police reports, different things. Like, I don't know what those things look like. Um, but if you ask me just to build a relationship, um, that's some of the things I would envision. Well, let me give you some props here, Chief McCordy. You know a whole lot more than you're giving yourself credit for. Because I'm going to give you a big peek behind the curtain here, and I'm going to let you know what's in the secret sauce. At the end of the day, building relationships in police work is not much different than when I was building relationships when I was in sales, which was not much different than when I was building relationships as a captain of a football team in college. 
You know, it's all the same thing. It all comes down to the same thing. It's about people want to be treated the way they want that. They want you to treat them the way they want to be treated. Mm -hmm. They want you to be fair and they want you to judge them by the content of their character. At the end of the day, that's it. Those are the ingredients. You know what I mean? It's like if we're talking about baking cookies, there's still some ingredients that have to be in every cookie. You got to have sugar. You got to have flour. You got to have eggs. And then you can, you know, you can make chocolate chip cookies. You can make snickerdoodles, but you still have to have those main foundational ingredients. So what you spoke about earlier was a concept that I like to call a relational credit score. And a relational credit score is very much like a financial credit score, where you have to establish a pattern of paying your bills on time. And as you do that, your credit score rises and then your your access to more money happens, right? Well, building a relationship with the community is very much that. You have to be there before the bad events happen. You can't wait till something bad happens and then come down and talk about, well, just trust us, we're going to do it. That's not how it works. You got to be out there. You got to lay that foundation and, and, and get that relational credit score going first. Then you can access that or withdraw from that when something bad happens or when you need the community to trust you because you are the person that was there way before any of that happened. So you're a lot closer than what you think. You, uh, you answered a very tough question very well. Mike, anything to add on that? No, no. I, I think the only thing I'll add to this real quickly is that um, when you, you know, as, as law enforcement, when you're speaking to folks, I think it could go a lot way if you, if you speak to that person as if, as if it were your family member. So if you, if you hear somebody else speaking to somebody, another officer speaking to somebody, and that was your mother that that officer was speaking to, and you have a problem with the way they were speaking to them, then, then I think that you can address that. Um, because again, it goes a long way with communication, communication, communication goes a long way. Um, and again, that's something we could do better. Uh, we can get better at it as far as uh, law enforcement community. What do you guys think of, a, of that topic when you talk about community policing and, and, and building those relationships? Like the departments you've been in, like, is that the overall concept for all the officers? Do they think that in... Like you just said, Mike, when you see an officer, let's say, approach somebody, and I don't know if this is happening to you guys, and they don't come with that, you know, kind of how they speak to a loved one or a family member or a mom, and they come aggressive or disrespectful. Um, you know, I think for me on the other side, we all see it as, you know, blue lives matter, protect the badge, you know, we see blue. Like, is that real? Like, do, you know, do cops do that? I know for us on the football team, if somebody messes up on the field and I can cover it up before we go in the film room and talk to the coach. Like, like that happens all the time. You know, obviously it's a big difference of, you know, what we're talking about. Um, but you know, I guess one, how do you guys see your departments and do they have the same views as you? And then how does that really work with, you know, holding each other accountable? All right, Mike, why don't you go first and I'll jump in. Yeah. So, so Devin, the, the way I see it is, uh, you know, I'm very, very fortunate that I'm able to work in a community that is very, 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 very diverse. Malden is a very diverse community. Um, and, you know, and over the years, the police department has has done the same thing as far as uh, the police department reflecting the community that they serve, that they serve. So I'm very, very fortunate to work in an environment, environment like that, where we get to interact with several different cultures. And uh, so it doesn't matter where you're from. When you transition to, to Malden and, and you, you become a police officer in Malden, you are exposed to so many different cultures and, and, and um, diverse situations that you're, you're forced 
you're forced to kind of uh, to to get familiar and, and learn different things if you weren't already used to that. Uh, you know, in, in Malden High, I think they you know they they speak over a, a hundred something lang different languages. Uh, so it, it's I'm very very fortunate. I don't I don't know about Dean's community, but uh, but I know I'm very very fortunate to be able to to work in the community that I am and in the diversity that's there. All right, well said. I got to admit, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm listening, but I'm, I'm, we're so behind in the chat that I'm trying to find things. So I do have a question from a college student that also happens to be a cousin of mine. So I'm trying to wade through her comments and get to the question. So the question is, do black men and women who are police officers often get a say in what goes on and how to uproot these types of calls for just injustices in general that happen within the police force? So I'm, um, I'm going to talk about as far as what kind of say we have. Um, so Taylor, that depends on where you are and what your role is in the police department. So I will tell you this, as far as how calls are handled, nobody has more say in how a call is handled than the, than the first line officers. Because essentially, I'm, I'm a sergeant, Mike's a sergeant. We can't go to every single call with every single one of our patrol officers. So there's a level of trust that we, we have to have with the people that we work with and um, that we work for because we work for our patrol officers. It's not the other way around. We're there to support them and make sure they have what they need. So we have to, we have to, we have to guess that they're doing the right things when they're out there, and, um, and we kind of got to go from that. As far as when a call is clearly something like what I spoke about earlier, where it is clearly somebody trying to get revenge by the police or they're trying to harass somebody by means of the police, yes, um, we do have a say in, in how that works, and that's when we should absolutely be requesting to speak to the calling party. Um, but the problem is a lot of people have the ability to say, nope, I don't want to talk to the officer, or they just don't pick up the phone we call back mm -hmm. to have them meet with the officer. So, uh, Taylor, you just have to understand the police, uh, the reason why we get so much flack is because we are low-hanging fruit. We are the most accessible branch of the government because we are the only branch of the government where every time you pick up the phone, you know somebody's going to going to answer the phone, and when you request one of us, you know somebody's going to come. What other branch of the government um, can offer that? So that's why it makes it so easy for people to uh, use us in such a way. Mike, any thoughts on that? Well, Dean, the only thing I'll add to that is is simple. Leadership, leadership, leadership. And, and so folks that work with me and for me, they know what I tolerate and they know what I do not tolerate. And so my, my, my thought process and my, and my beliefs are very, very clear as far as how you deal with people um, and, and, uh, and how I operate. So I, I think that's important for the folks uh, in, uh, in leadership positions uh, the people that work for you, they, they know what you'll tolerate and what you won't tolerate. So I think leadership in, in law enforcement is very, very important. And it's crucial um, if, uh, if, if we're moving forward in the right direction. Uh, that way, they, they know, again, they know what you're going to tolerate and what you're not going to tolerate. Fair enough. Devin, I hope we answered your question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. All right. Do you have a follow-up? No, no, I just saw, I saw, I was looking at the chat too, and someone was just talking about the systematic racism within police and, and where is it? And I thought that was a good question that Taylor asked um, about being able to change things. And you, and you said it, Dean, like it depends on your role. And I was going to ask, do, 
black and brown and minority officers, do they have those roles um, to make those changes and to be, you know, making some of the deciding, you know, decisions on, you know, how to police and different things like that. Like, what do you guys see in, in your department? But even as you look outward and, you know, you have friends maybe in other departments, like, what do you guys see when it comes uh, to decision making and holding um, some of the higher up roles in the department? All right. I'm foaming at the mouth to get at this question. This is one of my favorite questions. If I had a knife, fork, and a bib, I'd put it on because I want to dig into this. All right. So as far as that goes, one of the biggest issues that we have in police uh, in policing right now, especially when you get outside of the big cities, is there's not a lot of people that look like us on this job. We need more people to step up and take this job so we can be better represented in this job and we can have more influence in this job. I am one of 65 in my department. Actually, you know what we have? Actually, we have a new officer that is, that is a person of color. And I think that we have somebody else. So I think we have like two and a half people of color, but I'm the only one that's clearly black in my department. So that is not enough in a town that is just about, between 15 and 20% black. So we can say what we want, but at the end of the day, people have to step up and do what Mike and I did and take this job. Mm-hmm. All right. So until that happens, the voice is only going to be, I could be the loudest person in the room. It doesn't matter. I'm still one of one, one of 65 in a room. So until that room fills up and we have more people that are interested in taking a part in this job and being, and being part of the change that they want to see happen, it's just it's just talk and empty rhetoric at that at that point. So that's the one thing I want to say out there. So if you if you're feeling some kind of way and you are within whatever age parameters or whatever to take the job, I encourage you take the test. Come out. We need your help. Your communities need you. Recruitment has never been it's never been lower than it is right now. So it's time for people to step out from behind the keyboards and step up and stand shoulder to shoulder with guys like Mike and I and help do some of these things that you want to see happen. And also stand with a lot of our, 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 our white brothers and sisters that are doing the right thing. And there are a lot of them that are doing the right thing. Stand with us. Help us. So that's, that's, that's why that's one of my favorite questions. And that is so, so needed, Devin. And I, and, um, I just can't stress that enough. Mike, um, do you want to add on that? No, Dean. I, I, I think I, I don't know how I, can, how I can say it any better. Uh, I, I think you're absolutely right that uh, a, lot of, a lot of folks need to step up to the plate and, and take the exam. Uh, like Dean pointed out, the, the, um, the, the, the test, the folks wanting to t- take this test, it's just unbelievably low. Um, and it's getting lower uh, because the, the, the job is, is getting tougher and tougher. Um, and I think that if you want to see change the way folks are talking about it, you, you have to step up to the plate, take that exam um, and continue to take those exam, uh, th- those exams. De- Dean and I, we got promoted. Uh, Dean, you're civil service, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Dean and I, we got promoted uh, just like everybody else that goes through the system in order to, to, to rise uh, to rise in the ranks with within a lot of police departments in Massachusetts. You got to take the exam um, and, and you got to You got to compete with the rest of us. Um, and ultimately, if you want to see those positions filled with folks that 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 look like Dean and I, uh, that's just that's just how the system is right now. Absolutely. I just, it's, uh, I just one, fo- ahead, I one follow up. Do you think it, it would help, though, seeing 
um, some minority and officers of color in more powerful positions. Because I just think about my profession, NFL, predominantly black or, or minorities, you know, colored uh, people of color playing. But if you look at all of the high power positions in our sport, you know, you've seen a new wave of just even players as quarterbacks. You've seen a new wave of more uh, quarterbacks of color. But head coaches, I think we have three or four head coaches. GMs, I think it's the same thing. Three or four owners we have. Uh, I think Shad Khan um, in Jacksonville is the only owner um, of any of any type of minority. And I, I just see that. And I'm just like, here we have, you know, a business where, you know, I think most of America, when we look at some of these top businesses at the top is always the same. Um, and, you know, obviously football, you know, pays well. So you always have people who want to do it. Um, and, you know, officers is a little different. It's not the limelight. It's not there. But do you guys think that even within, you know, maybe not your departments, but in some of these other departments where there are more, you know, officers of color, um, and I've talked to some officers where they feel like it is different when it comes to um, moving up the ranks and, and who gets promotions or who gets this different job, um, they do feel like there's some bias in there. So do you think that would you know, lead to more young people saying like, hey, you know, I don't want to just be, you know, a beat cop. I want to do this. I want to do that. But I see, you know, the officers that I know and they're still doing that for X amount of years. Um, just wondering that as a as a citizen, because I know that's prevalent in our country in different jobs. Is that the same for you guys? Mike, what say you? No, no, yeah, Devin. I, I think you, you know you make some some great points. I think that um, I think that it, it is important for um, for folks in law enforcement to to continue to rise in in, in rank because I, I think it does have some relevance in regards to how uh, folks in in, in communities perceive um, uh, law enforcement or or at, or at least be more open. Um, and again, and again, if you if you're a person of color. Um, and you're wearing a uniform and you wear it well and you represent the community well, I, I think that goes a long way to, to, um, to folks in, in communities um, that are people of color. I, I think it, it is relevant, Devin, um, and it's important. But, but again, um, the fact of the matter is that we, we, have, to, we have to continue to be motivated to, to seek, uh, you know, a lot, some folks in my department um, just don't want to take the exam right now. Um, and so, you know, part of my, part of my job is, is, is to try to encourage everyone, um, uh, to, to kind of continue to rise in rank. And, and again, I think it's leading by example. Um, uh, it's, it's motivating, leading by example. And, and again, folks that look like Dean and I, we, we want to, we want to see folks rise in rank. We want to see you wearing the uniform, um, uh, you, you know, with respect and, and pride, and that goes a long way with, with the folks that we serve. Yeah. So I hope that um, that 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 answers the question, folks. In, in the chat, I just want to address the chat real quick. I love the enthusiasm, and I love that some of you really want have a lot to say. But if you could just kind of break it up into smaller bites, like some of <laughs> some of y'all are writing dissertations in the chat, and I can't get it all on the screen. So if you could just kind of make it more digestible. And, uh, and I can see what I can do about getting you on the screen. But I love the enthusiasm, love the passion, keep bringing it. it, um, it it's really driving the show. All right. So that said, uh, Devin. 
So there's a lot that's being uh, that's being said. A lot of people want to talk about, um, you know, building trust, building uh, building bridges in the community. Is there anything beyond what we've talked about tonight that you would also like to see the police do? And and again, don't be afraid to say something if it's not feasible. That's what we'll do. We'll talk to you and we'll explain to you why it's not feasible. And if it is feasible, you'll give a bunch of cops and a bunch of people that aha moment that everybody comes here uh, to seek. So please, what do you think? Yeah, I think I think one of the things that I've seen, you know, here and there is, you know, I think we can't, like we talked about with the media, we can't avoid when something high profile happens and the media, it dominates. Um, but I think it would be awesome to see more officers give a perspective um, to what happens. And I think when a police shooting happens or, Someone, uh, I think it was down in either Texas or Arizona, the, the uh, military uh, man who was pulled out of his vehicle. When different things like that happen, I think as citizens, and I know a lot of times it's group chats, it's emails, people are going back and forth. And the truth of the matter is a lot of times we, don't have, no, we have no idea what we're talking about. We've never been in that situation as an officer and we're just talking and, and spitballing a bunch of things out. And I think it would be awesome to see you know, if cops, you know, and I don't think it has to be an individual cop and, and puts themselves just all of, but just a group of officers sat down and sometimes just talked about that. Like, hey, this incident happened. This is how we talk about it. This is how we see it. This is how we handle it. Um, and I don't think it has to be a way that was wrong or that was right. But just a, a kind of breakdown of, of how you try to police just to give people uh, a better understanding. I, me personally, I would love to see that. Um, almost like breaking down film from a football standpoint when you see players break down what happened in a game um, and give their different opinions. And a lot of times, like even a, a play in a game that could have a positive result, people have different opinions on how it should have been ran or how it should have been executed. So I would love to see that. Outstanding. I feel the need to address what CM Coop is saying. So CM Coop says, I think just having minority officers, whether in power or not, will help white officers understand where minorities in the public are coming from. All right. So I have to tell a personal story about that, CM Coop. I think for the most part, you're right. So just like Devin said about, um, about having teammates, I felt like some of the best experiences of my life happened. And some of the reasons why I have so many friends of different races were because of sports. When you're, everybody's united for a common goal, which is to win games. Right. You have that goal, like we're going to do whatever it takes to win games. And sometimes you got to do a job and it's an ugly job and not a pretty job and vice versa. It kind of brings people together. Now, the problem with this CM Coop is simply having black officers in place is not enough. And I'm going to tell you why. So, um, like I said earlier in the show, I had I have not always wanted to be a police officer. And I, I've, I've had some things happen to me that um, that made me that way. So I was telling uh, some white officers that uh that i that i worked with uh, a story about something that happened to me where i was felony stopped i was with two of my white friends um it was in the middle of summer i'm wearing a tank top and i got athletic shorts on so really no place to hide anything and we were walking through this condo complex next you know i see one two three cop cars blue lights coming right in our direction i already knew they're here for me so they jump out of the car uh, one guy grabs me by the back of my neck, throws me on the ground. He's kneeling on me, and he's searching me, saying that. And um, so I'm just complying, um, but I'm pissed as hell. 
And my two white friends, I'll never forget it. There was a rookie cop off to the side with my two white friends. He's just standing beside them. Keep in mind, we were all together now. He was just standing beside them, and he's talking about the goddamn Red Sox game that was played last night. While I'm down there getting searched, roughly. Uh, At the end of it, one one of the officers said that they were there because they had a report of a black male breaking into the clubhouse of this complex. I had a tank top on. And athletic shorts. Where am I? Where am I going to hide a crowbar or anything like that? So, I was explaining this very um, personal, very hurtful event that happened to me. And one of my, one of the people that was in the crowd that I was talking to actually said, "Well, you must have been doing something." I'm pausing because that's what I felt like at the time. You want to talk about a gut punch. Like it doesn't matter that I was in the same job as this person and I'm there with this person. I met all the same qualifications that this person did to be in this job. That wasn't enough. They asked, they actually said out loud, I must've been doing something or they must've thought something trying to justify the actions of those officers. And, um, do you think that I was in a rush to explain more about my experiences and what it's like to be on the end of that after that. So the answer is yes, I was because I'm that person, but I'm rare that way. Cause I don't care. You know what I mean? But other people that would shut a lot of people down having that kind of comment and that kind of slap in the face be made. So the point I'm making is CM Coop. It doesn't matter how many of what race or nationality you have. If people aren't, exploring their curiosity, and they're not legitimately seeking to understand one another, none of this is going to work. So um, it was a great comment, CM Coop. It kind of made me, it brought me back that story, and I hope you all don't mind me sharing that with you, but that was uh, not my finest day at work um, when, when that happened. Devin, uh, any, any thoughts on that? No, I think it's very interesting. I, I mean, I, I remember back to being in college, um, and the presidential election and Barack Obama won. And I remember, you know, we're young college kids and, you know, that was probably one of the high times for, you know, kids of our age actually going out and voting and we're celebrating in the locker room. We thought it was the coolest thing ever. Um, and I remember like some of our white teammates and like you just said, these are the guys who've been playing with for years. Uh, we like, we go out there and, you know, in football, you know, we talk about like, Hey, I'm going to sacrifice next to you. Um, and those guys were looking at us as if like, why, why are you so happy? Like that doesn't help black people. Like and it was just like such a straight slap in the face of like, we didn't do any research. We didn't care about anything else other than the president being black. And for me, it was just the understanding of, it doesn't make that person a bad person. It's just not everyone understands what you went through. Like not everyone sees that they see what they see because they might've grew up in an area where there was, there wasn't many black people. So they might've grew up in an area where the black people who were in town did get arrested or did commit crimes. Um, and I remember I had an ex-girlfriend whose father was a cop and he had biases because of the town he worked in a lot of crime in that town happened to be from African-Americans. So that's how he thought of them. So um, I think what you said was powerful. You keep talking because I think within that, you know, I would hope at some point that person comes back up to you maybe a year, two, five years later, like, man, I'm sorry because I didn't realize. I think that's 
while you keep talking in the hope of like, well, even if you don't get that person, somebody else got it. Um, but I think sometimes that's what happens. Like people don't grow up or see the same things. So they grew up with these biases of, you know what, like the thing we keep hearing, just shut up and comply and everything will be okay. Like that's all we hear as black people. If you comply, everything will be okay. It doesn't matter what you think or if it was right or wrong, just comply which a, a lot of times will get you home. I'm, I, I'm a, a fan of that. Get home and, and be safe. Um, but I think we can't avoid what you went through, how you felt about that. Um, I think those are the things that need to be talked about and addressed. So to put it all in context, and Mike, I'm going to come to you, but I'm just yeah. going to bring this all home. Yes, that happened to me, and that was one of, a, of maybe like three or four incidents that happened to me, which I believe is significantly more than a lot of these people that are out in the streets now that have had maybe, you know, they, they got pulled over and they got a ticket and they're like, oh, it was racism. No, 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 no. Not always. All right. Completely different story altogether. Like I was on the right, wrong end of racism. But that was three or four incidents in tens of thousands of police contacts I've had. So I can't color all police officers. Even then, you know, it took me a little while, but even then I still had police officers that I loved and cared about. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I couldn't color everybody because you know what? How is that any different than how people treat me when they used to see me in my hoodie and my untied work boots and my baggy jeans, right? So I can't do to all police officers what people were very comfortable doing to me when they saw me walking around dressed like that. They were very quick to, uh, to lump me into some sort of category or to, or to, or to, or to stereotype me. So I beg people to have the moral courage not to let one outlier or two or even three outliers label an entire group of people. It's quite frankly, it's, 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 it's lazy and it's unfair. And I know that as a black man, I hate it when people do that to me when I am not working and I am in my regular clothes. And as a police officer, I hate it equally because you have no idea who I am. You don't know what my story is until you get to know me and talk to me. Mike, any thoughts on that? No, I, I think I think you you both made some some great points and and uh, Devin, like I think you mentioned it, it it's it's important to understand um, different cultures and 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 just realize that folks grew up differently from you, and and Dean, to your point is I think that right now and I and I think it's being amplified by media is we're attaching race to everything that we do. And I think it's 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 really it's really causing um, us to be more divided than bringing us together. So I, so I think it's important to obviously point out um, um, issues if they're truly issues. Um, but I but I think that if you know and, and to, to to go to Dean's point, if I'm a, if if I'm rude and I suck as a police officer, that doesn't make me racist. I'm just rude and I suck as a police officer. Um, so we can't we can't continue to attach everything to me being rude or me being a just just a bad police officer um, to racism. Um, so I, I think that's that's unfair to to a lot of folks. And again, the vast majority of, of, of folks in law enforcement, we do the, the uh, we do a great job every single day and we're only human. I'm not saying we're perfect. We mess up, but we can't continue to to just. Uh, 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 attack every situation with race, 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 because we, because it's that uh, our message and what we're trying to do, the healing gets clouded, and and it and it really makes it very di difficult on both sides to bring it to the middle. 
gentlemen, we're up on time. So I, I this I, I didn't know an hour could go so quickly. I mean, this is this is um, this is flowed. This was an amazing conversation, but it feels unfinished to me. Mm-hmm. And I would love to revisit this at some point. Um, Devin, really quick, tell us what's important to you. What do you have going on right now that um, that's important to you? What, what, do you want, what causes do you want to bring awareness to? Yeah, first I would say I would, I would love to jump back on, uh, work out a schedule and time to come back on. Because like you said, I was looking at the time. I was like, damn, we, we've already been on for, you know, it was 45 minutes at the time. And it felt like we only hit a few topics. So uh, I would, I would, you know, love to come back on and talk to you guys. But um, for me, it's figuring out how to do so many things that I usually do um, with COVID. I usually have, we usually have a youth football camp in my hometown. Um, you know, we joined the board at Boston Medical. So I'm uh, going to try to really do some things in sickle cell and, and bring more awareness and funds. And um, then I, I would say the biggest thing to look forward to is as a team each year, we'll have our social justice fund and, um, last year, we we really stepped it up, I think, obviously raising the money, but um, we had team-wide discussions with people coming in from organizations and uh, getting an opportunity to learn, and I mean from all different walks. We were officers, activists, so um, I- I'm really looking forward as to when we get back together and the season starts um, of as a Patriots team, um, obviously always a force in, society, in our community with charity work. But continue to be a voice for social justice um, and trying to, like Mr. Kraft always says, trying to build bridges um, and not, you know, be divisive and, and try to bring people together. So um, just looking forward to the season as far as playing football. Um, but what I love about once the season starts, it allows us to have the biggest platform to do all the stuff we love to do off the field. So looking forward to that. That That's amazing, Devin. Um, Mike, my main well, man. Listen, I'm, I'm Dean. I'm, I'm always very, very. Uh, I'm, I'm fortunate to to be engaged in in a lot of these conversations that you had, and I, and I think it's very important. And and Devin, I appreciate you you coming on um, because I think that um, it's important for folks um, like you to to um, to be heard and let the community hear you in, in some of the the uh, the your perspective. So. Um, uh, Dean, I hope that we continue to build and one one conversation at a time. It's uh, seeking to understand. That's all. Understand each other and, and stop being so, you know, we have to stop being so di- 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 um, divisive um, and, 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 and really just kind of open up. Um, and and think about uh, think about the bigger picture and on, on both sides of the aisle whether you're in law enforcement or the community um, I think we have to take emotions out and, and you know sometimes us we in law enforcement we we have our egos and our egos get in the way and I think we have to remove both of those things so we can try to meet in the middle somewhere and um, and get to a better place that's outstanding gentlemen thank you again for taking time away from your families to have this difficult conversation um, I don't usually do this, but Devin, um, one thing that, that I can say for you now, it's not very often that I, people like Mike and I, get a chance to help people like you in a non-service-based way. But I want you to walk away knowing that now you, you, you have two people that are experts in law enforcement that have 17 and 16 years, I think, uh, respectively, in law enforcement that you can come to and you can bounce things off of because that's the one thing i want you to really take away from this 
because I see what you're doing. I love what you're doing with the social justice. And I want you to know that, you know, that you can bounce things off us too. And you can come to us and say, Hey, listen, how does this look? Because a lot of what, you know, a lot of what I didn't tell you is I teach defensive tactics. I'm on the regional crisis negotiation team and a whole other thing, uh, list of things too. And Mike is a detective sergeant in charge of investigations. So we're not just guys in suits. We're doing things and we have information and we have ways that we, uh, we have things that we can help you in your social justice quest. And I hope that you think of us as resources and, uh, and as friends now that we've done this. So, uh, so thank you. And I just want you to uh, take that home with you. No, I, I appreciate that. Uh, it's helped me out a lot. I don't like, I hate speaking from an ignorant standpoint and, and acting like I know everything. So uh, anytime I can hear from more voices and, and different opinions helps me out a lot. So uh, I'll definitely be reaching out with different things that come up uh, and, and we'll love you guys input and, and feedback. Outstanding. We'll exchange information backstage after the show. Thank you everybody for tuning in. We went a little bit longer tonight because we had to. Sometimes you just got to go with the flow, and tonight was one of those nights. So again, this is Difficult Conversations by Supply the Why. If you like this content, please check us out on all your favorite social media and podcast platforms. So good night, everybody. And as always, remember, hashtag Supply the Why.